1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
0: I decide what I feel success to me looks like in a year or for a project. So for me in 2018, success to me was really dialing in on the content I was creating online. Success to me in 2019 was launching my podcast. Success in 2020 is launching my book. So that's what I'm focused on. So I'm very clear, first of all, about what I really care about. On top of that, I'm now looking at other opportunities coming in. I'm saying, is it serving this bigger goal? If it's serving this bigger goal, then I can take it right now because it's, it's direct, right? It's a direct thing that's going to have an impact right now on the goal that I have. If I'm seeing, I'm really holding out for a hopeful long-term win.
1: If there's a strategic long-term win, then I can wait. That's Jay Shetty, author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Think Like a Monk. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term, and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO Sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO, Welcome to a new season, season five of FOMO Sapiens, FOMO. and I am so excited to be here with you, and we're starting the season out with a bang with our guest, Jay Shetty, author of Think Like a Monk, podcaster, video producer. I mean, this guy is everywhere. He's huge, and he's with us today. We're also starting this season with a fresh new look, a new logo, a new website at FOMOSapiens.com, so I'm really excited that we are turning over a leaf Trying new things, coming out with a fresh look, and all the stuff you love from before with just a little bit more extra on top of it. Now, let me tell you about today's guest, Jay Shetty. Jay's life story is incredible. He grew up in a typical household in London, but after a chance meeting with a monk, he made a radical change, and at the age of 22, He went out to live as a monk across India and Europe, trading his suits for robes, waking up at 4 a.m., taking cold showers, and meditating for as much as eight hours a day to train his mind. Then he applied the wisdom he had gained living as a monk in a very unexpected way. He started creating videos about how the mindset of a monk can be applied in the business world and in daily life. Fast forward a few years, and Jay's videos have garnered billions of views, he also has a hit podcast on purpose and over 7 million followers on Instagram. I mean, the guy is followed by Jennifer Aniston, if you can believe that. Basically, he is one of the most viewed people on the internet internationally. But the best part is he's also a really great guy. He's very down to earth. Uh, I spent time with him. He's completely approachable and he, he's the real deal. So I, I just really enjoyed meeting him and I think he has really valuable insights to share as you will see in our discussion. Then stick around for the FOMO moment of the show, where I'm going to tell you what I've been up to since last season and talk more about what to expect in this season of FOMO Sapiens. There's a lot of great things happening, and I cannot wait to share them with you. And now, on to the interview. Despite his huge reach, I actually had to admit to Jay when we chatted that I hadn't heard of him before his team reached out about coming on the show. They sent me his book, and when I read it, it was all new to me, and I was completely blown away. I love the book, and I especially love the title, Think Like a Monk. So I started our conversation by asking Jay why he decided to go with that title. So the reason
0: why the book is called Think Like a Monk is because I believe we're living at a time that's full of uncertainty, full of chaos, full of pressure, stress, uh, full of a lack of direction and meaning. And I think... I believe that anyone who's listening and watching and people have really got to a place right now where they've started to realize that the answer to all of that is not going to come from outside of them. That's not suddenly going to be solved by a person, a place, a leader, a inventor, a creator. No one's going to just suddenly make that all disappear. And I think we started to understand that it has to come from us. And when I lived as a monk and then went and studied the brains of monks, and when I say studied, I mean read incredible studies and had incredible research. No, you were doing a training. Not that in I your was home. doing yeah, not that I cut up any monks' brains. <laughs> uh, they, I found that monks have the happiest, calmest and most focused brains on the planet. And I thought to myself, in this crazy world that we're living in, why wouldn't any of us want to be calmer, happier and more focused? And I think all of us would want to, and hence the book title, Think Like a Monk. It was, how can we all, without living like monks learn to think like monks so that we can actually find calm in the chaos, where we can find stillness in this world that we live in, and actually find a space where we feel we deeply understand who we are. And that's really what monks do. So I thought, why not help everyone think like a monk?
1: And you grew up in North London. Yes. You were, you know, normal upbringing, you know, sort of the typical person. And one day, and you talk about this in the book and in a lot of your work, you are, I think you're on your, you're going to go to a club later in the night, and a friend asks you to go to see uh, a monk speak. And so you're like, okay, fine. I'll go with you to see the monk if you come with me to the club, which, yes, which is awesome. That was the, the deal. Way, that would have been the way I would have done it as well. <laughs> and you went into that room and you, in the book you say you you fell in love. And it, not like a, a romantic love, of course, a different type of love. And that became sort of this lodestar for you. You began this journey where you actually moved to India and lived as a monk for three years. And it it was a major crossroads in your life. So I tell us a little bit about that moment where you had this crucible... Crucible discovery that you wanted to do something that was completely outside of anything that probably, you know, you had thought about doing before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those moments in life where you think about like sliding doors, right? It's almost like if that moment didn't happen, where would I be? Or if you could go back to that moment and let's say I skipped seeing the monk and I went to the bar only where would my life be today? And I always think about that moment as being one of those. And I'm sure anyone who's listening or watching right now, there's probably a moment in your life where you feel like, if I didn't meet this person, or if I didn't go to this place, then what if? So for me, meeting that monk was a surprise in my life because I wasn't looking for spirituality. I wasn't looking for philosophy. I wasn't looking for a path. I was actually pretty happy in life. I'd say that I had a lot going for me and I was pretty confident at that time and things things were okay. Like there was nothing that I could say I was like missing. And that's what the amazing thing was, that even though I didn't find I was missing anything, meeting him made me realize that there was more than what I was looking for. And I think that was the beautiful thing about noticing that actually there is so much knowledge, there's so much wisdom, there's so much experience out there that sometimes we're just imprisoned from or sheltered from, and we will never get to experience unless we put ourselves out there. So when I had that moment in Revelation of almost meeting him and feeling like, wow, there is something more I should be doing with my life, I was just happy that there was someone who could show me the way. And I think that's often what we're looking for. We're looking for someone or a group of people that can expose us to a new way of thinking, new ideas, new pathways,
1: and that can lead to a whole new world. And then you, as, as I understand, it, it's not like you just sort of like walked out of there Picked up some robes, you know, at the look, lo- the nearest <laughs> fabric store, and sort of got on a plane and and moved to India. You sort of incrementally tried this out, so on your yeah. summer vacations, and so you were able to experience this lifestyle, still do the things that were quote unquote expected of you in terms of getting an education and things like that, and then eventually you made the decision to go in full time. So yep. when you did that, I can imagine. I mean, your your family, your parents, your friends uh, probably were concerned. Yes. That you, you you had sort of been on the, the the primrose path, and now you were going to do something rather radical. Obviously not hurting other people, but, you know, potentially, you know, for example, taking certain vows of poverty and chastity and maybe not having a family, all kinds of things that are major life decisions. So there's a lot going on there. How did that conversation go down? And like, how were you able to convince the people in your life that you were doing something that was good for you and not something that was hurting you?
0: Yeah, I think I've had a technique that's worked for me for a long time now where I prepare people for things that are going to happen a few years down the line. So I remember <laughs> telling my parents when I was 18, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to become a monk one day. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, You know, it's never going to happen. And at 19, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to become a monk one day. And, you know, they're like, whatever. And then when at 21, 22, going on 22, and I was like, no, now I'm really going to do it there was a lot of preparation for them too. And I think this is a part of, you know, I'm always trying to see how this applies to anyone who's uh, listening and watching to this. It's like, for me, it's like, it's preparing people and sharing and updating them on where you're at in life. And and I find that a very useful thing to do in general with anyone and everyone today. If I'm having a new realization or I'm making a move, I always inform a few people that are close to me that care about me because I don't want them to be, have this radical moment with like, Jay, you've changed so much. But even having given all those updates, my extended family was like, you're never going to get a job again. How are you ever going to make money? Who's ever going to date you? Or will you ever date again? You're not going to have kids. Who's going to take care of your family? Who's going to take care of your parents? Like all of that pressure. And then my friends being like, Jay, what are we going to talk about anymore? Like we used to talk about women and girls all the time, like." Can you not talk to me about that anymore? Like, what do we get? What, what's going to be our? And I was like, wow, is that all we ever talked about? <laughs> like, I was like, wow, like is that the level of our conversation that that's what we're going to miss talking about? So you start feeling all that pressure, and I think whether you're deciding to be a monk or whether you're deciding to go and follow your passion or try something new or whatever it is, I think everyone hears this noise in some way or the other. And for me, the key was my voice had to be louder than the noise. And I think that's the challenge that all of us face every single day is that we're not following our intuition, the noise is louder than the voice, or we're following our intuition and the voice is louder than the noise. Thankfully, based on all the summer vacations I'd taken to live as a monk, I developed the ability to hear my voice and my values and what was calling me in that direction. So if I'm completely honest, at the time, I didn't really feel any pressure because I was so convinced that I was doing the right thing. And I think that confidence and that conviction came from the fact that I'd actually experienced what I was about to get into. So like you said, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm done with the material world and here we go into the spiritual robes. It was, oh, wow, I've experimented with both these lives of business and of monkhood for three years, and now I've made this very
1: coherent, intentional decision that I'm happier doing this life. And it's about trust, too. I think about, you know, whether it's in a family situation or whether you're working for a company, and your company one day comes in and they say, yes, what, we've you know we decided we're closing down the office and we're <laughs> doing this and that and the other. And it's sort of like, you know what, if you trusted me and you valued this relationship and you valued my contribution, you would respect me enough to yep. prepare me and and you wow. would know that I'm an adult and that I can handle this. And maybe it's not the greatest thing that ever happened. Maybe I don't like what you've told me, but give me the benefit of the doubt that I can handle this. That's 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 a great great way to put it. I'm really
0: glad you brought that up. That's that's an awesome way to put it because I think you're so spot on that it is that feeling of like, that person's an adult, they can handle it. And the trust element that you just brought about, I think that's, yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, and I I also think, by the way,
1: people know. I mean, people always know. People have, intuition is a very powerful, especially, not everybody is in touch with their intuition, but a lot of people are. And and so they probably even know what's coming at them the minute you say it.
0: Yeah, people know it, but when you make something official, yes. it hurts more. And that's what i realized, that my family knew I was going off to live like a monk every summer, but when I decided, I was like, now I'm becoming one. It was like, no, like, you know, it's almost <laughs> like the end of the world moment. I'm like, wait a minute, you knew I was into this stuff for the last three years. So I almost feel like when you make something official people's noise is gonna go through the roof. And that's why it's so important to either not announce something when it's official until you're ready or know that the noise, expect that the noise is gonna get so loud that you better be ready for it. So I noticed this a lot in a lot of friends that have a similar experience when they quit their day job and they start pursuing their passion or they start pursuing what they love. And what they do is that they go on Instagram or Facebook and they announce that they've just quit their safe job. Now, half of the responses are, oh, I'm so happy for you, this is awesome. But half the responses are like, you idiot. You realize you've just given up like a safe salary, a safe job, you know, whatever it is. And now they're almost doubting their their situation because they're like, oh, maybe maybe I made the wrong decision. So I think if you're about to make a big decision in your life, don't announce it. Keep it private, deal with it, speak to the people that matter. And the second thing is, if you are going to tell people about it expect the noise so don't be surprised when it comes like don't be shocked when you now start doubting your decision because so many people are coming at you
1: so you 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 did this for for several years you were you were, you lived as a monk 100% and then there was a you reached a point where uh, your teacher said listen I think your your gift is to go out into the world and share what you've learned here which was a difficult time to leave because you were you know very I would say content in that lifestyle um, and then you did that and you went back to London and you started sharing what you learned. Eventually you started out with making videos online and now it's it's turned into, I would say, a media empire. When people start out, because I think a lot it's funny, I, I spoke at a at a I'm from the state of Maine and I spoke at a junior high school and um I asked the kids what they wanted to be and like you know, you know the answer to this like two thirds of them wanna be YouTube influencers, which is I think it's cool. Like, I love, you know, we all should have dreams that, you know, are impractical or whatever when we're kids. <laughs> not to not to dismiss it, but it's not easy, right? It's a ton of work. Yeah. And you started out, and I imagine in the beginning you were making these very simple videos and probably didn't get a lot of views, and over time they grew, and you started to be able to share your, your work with other people. And so, you know, I'm sure we have people listening here who, you know, maybe they don't want to be an Instagram influencer, but they're thinking, like, how do I – how do I tell stories online in a way that is real? Yeah, and so, as you think back on your own journey, like tell me what what I guess what you think was 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 important to discover in order to to have the impact that you were looking to have
0: yeah, so i've I've really sat down and reverse engineered my process too, because I have a company that helps people build their brands and grow their online followings from a, from a genuine storytelling point of view. And so I went and sat back and I was like, well, well, what did I do? So I I nailed it down to these three things, which will hopefully help people from a more, the reason why I'm giving this answer is I want to give people a more practical methodology as opposed to giving them like an inspirational spiel Mm -hmm. that they'll be like, yeah, I've heard that before, but what do I actually do? So There are are five key storytelling themes that actually have the potential to go viral. I didn't know this when I started, but I've thought backwards and I realize this now. So the New York Times did an article on like the 7,000 pieces of content that got the most traction. And they found that all of those were based on these five areas, adventure, humor, emotion, inspiration, and surprise. So adventure is people jumping off mountains, cliffs, uh, bungee jumping, skydiving. Adventure, you know what adventure is. Uh, Humor, obvious, cats, dogs, babies, anything funny happening. Uh, Emotion is the news. The news spreads fast because it has an emotional trigger, right? Uh, You have inspiration, which my work would go into that category. And then you have surprise, right? So those five areas, and they're all feelings. So the big question is, what does your content make someone feel after they watch it? And I think this is a question not many people ask. Most people ask the question of, what do I want people to learn? What do I want people to take away? Or, uh, yeah, hopefully people like this, right? But it's like, what do I want people to feel? And so it has to be one of those five things if you really want it to have an impact in storytelling. The second principle is, what's my role? And this is a really, really important one. Today, I think we live in a world where everyone believes that they have to be the face the star of the show they have to be the front and center the funny thing is there's a lot of people who are very successful sometimes even more successful than the star of the show that are behind the scenes you know steven spielberg's never starred in his own movie right he's not trying to trade roles with leonardo dicaprio he's very happy being the director so the second thing is what is your role like are you really the star of the show are you really the talent or are you the director the producer the editor the writer the host like which role do you play And I think that that is such a deep self-awareness point that you have to ask and, you know, and think like a monk, I'm constantly pushing self-awareness and being honest with yourself. And it takes a lot of honesty to say, you know what, actually, I'm I'm a better writer than I am a better speaker. Let me go and do that, right? That takes some honesty. And then finally, the third set is what format suits me the best? Am I the best when I'm interviewing someone? Am I the best when I'm being interviewed? Am I the best when I'm talking directly to camera? Am I the best when I'm vlogging away like David Dobrik and his whole crew? Or am I better when I'm doing makeup tutorials? Like what format helps you win? And so you would be able to find the genre, the role, and the format. If you nail those three, you know where to start. And I think most people don't think like that. They just go, "I want, I want to, I want to be have like a million views. What, okay, what's the funniest thing I can do?" And when you start like that, you start a journey that loses you feel less satisfied the more that journey continues because you now started. And if you got lucky to have a moment, which was luck anyway, but if you were lucky enough to have a moment doing something you don't find satisfying, guess what? You're going to keep trying to recreate that moment. And now you're on this downward trajectory, hating what you do every day because you get a million views. And and I know so many creators that had a moment doing something they didn't love. And then your life continues being a moment that you don't love. So to me, it's better to figure this out upfront.
1: Tudo bem meus queridos Homo sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese and as you know I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in 5 Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel. The science-backed language learning app that actually works. But only for our listeners at babble.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babble.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B A B B E L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. One thing I, I saw about your history is that you were, when you were a kid, you were like a chunky, nerdy kid, right? Mm-hmm. Which I was too. Mm-hmm. So I get that. And so I've always felt like one of the things that's kind of a superpower is that like I, just, I don't really care because I got picked on so much as a kid that sort of like, I built up the armor and so number one I'm less likely to pick on other people because I know what that feels like but number two is somebody thinks what I'm doing is bad or stupid I know that you know generally if I believe what I'm doing this is this too shall pass and that it's more Mm -hmm. important to focus on helping the people who do believe in what you're doing so I'm curious as you think about that particular, like do you feel like that's contributed to the way that you see the world the fact that you maybe as a kid you were picked on and does that make yeah. you more more resilient when people criticize the work that you do?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I, I think that you could definitely draw parallels between that and, and resilience. And I remember being bullied in school and being left out and, you know, being laughed at for reading and whatever it was. And just, it, it it definitely made me more compassionate to other people being bullied. Like that was a big thing that came from it that I don't really like standing for watching someone else be picked on anymore or being bullied for something that they don't may not even be aware of or whatever, maybe especially as a kid. So it's made me more empathetic to anyone else now who has that challenge. And I think having made so many mistakes and failures in my life has also made me more empathetic to people who make the same mistakes. So I rarely look at someone who makes the same mistakes that I did and judge them because I'm like, wait a minute, that was me. Like that that's exactly the same mistake I made two, three years ago, or five years ago. And so Let's let's stop. Like uh, I can't remember who it was. I, I believe it's a Fifty Cent lyric. But he said, uh, he said, um, you shouldn't throw stones if you live in a glass house. And and then he goes on to rhyme it with something else. Uh, something about a
1: mouse, maybe. Uh,
0: he says, he says, <laughs> if I can remember this right. And if you've got a glass jaw, you should watch your mouth, like something uh, like, like that, that. Right. That was yeah. Anyway, okay. a little bit of Fifty Cent in there, but. But the uh, the reason why I'm saying that is just, you know, I just feel like when you've failed or you've made mistakes or you've been bullied or picked on, that should just give rise to more empathy and non-judgment. Because you start realizing that you made the same mistakes, you made the same failure. And in, in your regard to like, has that made me more resilient and thick-skinned? I think it definitely has. But hey, no one likes, it's hard being picked on by people you don't know and people, they don't know you. And I think that's the hardest thing. It's like, because what you want to do is sit that person down and say, hey, just talk to me like a person. Like, let's just let's just connect. Like, get to know me and understand why I made this mistake or why I got that wrong or why I didn't think about this. Like, let's just talk. Like, we're meeting right now, today, and it's like, if we were to talk it out, we'd learn so much more about each other. I think that's what creators struggle with, that there are people picking on you or your work or what you think or anything about you, whatever it may be, that don't know you. And for me, I think the biggest answer came from a conversation i had with simon Sinek. so i interviewed him about four years ago i don't know if you know who simon is of course start of with why yeah so so simon when i interviewed him he, he he gave a great piece of advice because he spoke about this he said that when he used to first get criticized online and he got a lot of it he said that they would reply and have a strategy to combat it for everyone who gave him negative advice But he started to notice very quickly that he was literally sitting in rooms with people who had negative feelings about him and he wasn't able to convince them. He was like, why am I wasting so much time? He said, but guess what? We never replied to the people who gave positive comments. Wow. We never connected with them. We never gave them an opportunity to sit in the room with me and talk to me and have that moment. And he was like, that's where it flipped. And and I thought that was such a great piece of advice. And I got that very early on in my journey. So I took that. I replied to nearly every comment that's positive. I replied to anyone who takes time out to share a story. I post so many stories of people who are listening to my work. So I'm like, let me celebrate that. Like this person's taking so much time And we just disregard them. And I think we do the same when we go out. You know, if you go out to a party tonight or you go out to dinner, 99% of people say, you look amazing. And then one person says, oh, those shoes with that, that shirt, that doesn't work. Like, oh, your hair looks weird today. Or you look tired today. And you go home thinking about that one person who didn't like you or didn't like what you were wearing or how you seemed. And we do that. Our mind plays a trick on us. And in Think Like a Monk, I talk about how the mind amplifies and magnifies the negative and completely breezes over the positive. And we do it all the time in every form of our life. If you see positive comments on a video, you will literally zoom past them and look for the negative one. Yeah, we so- <laughs> literally do that. And it's like the worst habit in the world. But whenever you ever stopped? And I, I posted this a few weeks ago and I was talking about how, you know, when you... When you cry, like, sorry, when you fail, you cry for seven days. But when you succeed, you party for one night. There's an issue there. There's a reason why we let emotionally pain affect us so much more deeply because we immerse and submerge ourselves in pain, but we never immerse ourselves in joy of winning. We just let it pass by. And that's why we can have bad memories stick around longer than good memories. I had never really
1: thought about the fact it's true. You skip over all the good stuff. I see people do it all the time. Like, you know, the Facebook, the Facebook is on your birthday. You get like 300 people that say happy birthday. You're like, oh, whatever. Totally. (laughs) And then you think about the person who didn't.
0: Who didn't message you. Exactly. That's a great example. Yeah. And, And that's something we need to switch. And that doesn't mean that you now shut yourself off from good feedback. I think that's the point is that you take the constructive elements of any feedback. If you're getting negative comments, you're getting bad feedback, take the work and make the change. Let your work speak for that, but really celebrate. And I don't mean celebrate by complacency or read good comments about yourself every day to boost your ego, but just don't, don't undervalue it. Don't undervalue someone taking the time to write four lines
1: about why this podcast is so
0: great. Like it's worth it. You know, like take a moment.
1: So I want to shift gears now and talk about your book because, because a lot of the, the elements of our discussion so far have been teasing at that. So let's jump <laughs> right into it. Uh, so your book, Think Like a Monk, uh, draws on the wisdom of the Bhagavad Gita, which was written between 800 and 400 BCE, before the Common Era. And it's these sacred Indian texts. And then, So you studied these, obviously, when you were training as a monk. And then brought these uh, back to your your life in the UK. And in the book, you show us a pathway to apply this wisdom to the modern age. So I want to focus on a couple of things. There was a lot in this in this book, but there were particular things that I really I love that I yeah. loved. And so I just want to I want to get into those specific elements sure. today. So let's start. You um, rever <laughs> and I never heard of this either. I guess. Uh, maybe this is common saying, but the monkey mind, I hadn't heard of that concept. So you talk about two types of mind, the monkey mind and the monk mind. And you describe and you list out the characteristics. And the monkey mind, when I saw that, I was like, well, that's the person who feels the fear of missing out and the fear of a better option. 100%. Spot on. For all of us here who maybe haven't, haven't, quite understood what those are. What is the monk mind? What is the monkey mind? And and what is the difference between the two of them?
0: Absolutely, yeah, great question. So the monkey mind is both a term from sacred texts and what modern psychologists have defined to talk about the part of our mind that is always distracted, that is unfocused. The parts of our mind that is always complaining, comparing and criticizing. The part of our mind that is totally trying to chase everything that it sees. The part of our mind that is trying to... That feels the anger, that feels the resentment, that holds on to the to the pain that someone has caused us. Like that's the monkey mind, and I think the monkey mind is what we experience all of the time. It's what causes us any sort of pain. And you can visualize a monkey jumping from branch to branch to branch, uh, just trying to find a banana. Like not really being satisfied where it is, constantly being scattergun. Like if you've ever viewed a monkey, monkeys are pretty chaotic creatures in, in an external sense. And the monk mind is the antidote to the monk mind. So where the monkey mind is comparing, complaining, and criticizing, the monk mind is calm, uh, collective, and conscious. Where the monkey mind is jumping from branch to branch, the monk mind is focused and effective. Where the monkey mind is completely uncontrolled and regretful, the monk mind is intentional and specific about what it wants to do. So the monk mind is the, monk, the mind that we want to move towards. And, and in the book, I'm trying to build that pathway for people. And so I describe it as being let go, grow and give. And this to me are really the tenets of any transformation in life. If you want to do anything, if you're moving house, you have to let go of a bunch of stuff. You have to grow in a different way and you have to finally give and serve people through that. If you're trying to change your body or your mind, there are going to be things that you need to leave behind. There are going to be new ideas that you have to adopt. And finally, you want to be able to give them away and serve people because that's kind of like the final moment of recognizing that what
1: you did really worked. So so that's kind of like the full picture of the monkey mind and the monk mind. And I'm sure people are coming to you all the time offering you things. It's like, Jay, why don't you go out of speaking tour? Jay, you know, what have you ever thought about doing a television show? Jay... (laughs) Why don't you do this and that? I'm sure it happens, right? Yes. Um, Which could lead you into the monkey mind, into the world of FOMO. And yet, this is what you do for a living. So you you have the tools. So when those things happen to you, how do you personally deal with this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a study that I talk about in Think Like a Monk where it shows that, you know, studies show that only 2% of the world's population can multitask. And when people hear that, they think they're in that 2%. <laughs> I just
1: the, did. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: And the answer is that most of us are in that 98%. And even multitasking is not real because what you're doing, as scientists say, is that you're just task. Um, you're literally moving from task to task at quicker intervals. Uh-huh. So you're still never actually multitasking. Like it's not actually possible. You are just switching quicker between things. And so what I try and do, and this has been a practice that I've really developed, and not everyone can develop it in the same way if you're not in charge of your schedule, but I would say the closer you can get to it, the better. So immersive, deep, focused experiences are far more powerful for the mind. So if you're doing a podcast, just do a podcast. Imagine we were doing a podcast and I was trying to write my book right now, mm-hmm. or I'm trying to sign 30 copies of my book right now. I know I'm not gonna do either well. And what I've tried to do is I've tried to create a schedule where, for example, this week I've been in New York City and all I'm doing is going on podcasts. Mm -hmm. Now that's 75% of my day. I also have businesses that I manage. I also have teams that I manage. So 25% of my day is spent being a multitasker. But 75% of my day is dedicated to what I'm actually trying to do right now, which is talk about these amazing themes that I've had so much time to study and write about. And so as much as you can block, create, so the mind can't be logical and creative at the same time. So the amount of people trying to walk from a creative marketing meeting to a business logics budgeting meeting, you're literally stressing yourself out and causing more burnout and more friction in your mind. The best way to solve that is have marketing days and budgeting days, or marketing mornings and budgeting afternoons. The more you can break down all of that into simplicity for your mind, the more effective and productive you're going to be. So... I've spent the last month recording podcasts for my podcast for the last 30 days. So all I was doing was banking content, creating content in bulk so that now for the next three months, I don't have to create that content. And then I can really focus on what I'm doing right now, which is being present with you. So I never wanted to live in the pressure of creating what I call uh, pressure content, right? Creating content where you're making it out of like, oh my God, I need to be creative today. Like as soon as I walk out of this interview with Patrick, I've got to somehow come up with the viral video idea. It's just not gonna work. And so it's the same as why we break down leg day we break down arm day. Mm-hmm. Like at the gym, you don't go to the gym and do everything every day. You have specific focuses. So at least make 75% of your day or 75% of your week about the thing you want to win at. And I get it, 25% of your day is going to be other stuff.
1: So I imagine, I'm also putting myself, I'm putting myself in your shoes a lot today. Um, but I imagine that you have, as again, choice-rich environment. Lots of things being offered. And so it's like, well, you know, I could commit to do this thing, but you know, God forbid... I have a better opportunity to come along. Because right now, you know, I'm in the process of doing things and new people are finding out about me. I might have something better come along. How do you feel the conviction to commit to certain opportunities and not wait for something better to come along down the line? How do you how do you decide?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I think the way I've always done it is I set out what my like I decide what I feel success to me looks like in a year mm-hmm. or for a project. So for me in twenty eighteen, success to me was really dialing in on the content I was creating online. Success to me in 2019 was launching my podcast. Success in 2020 is launching my book. So that's what I'm focused on. So I'm very clear first of all about what I really care about. On top of that, I'm now looking at other opportunities coming and I'm saying, is it serving this bigger goal? If it's serving this bigger goal, then I can take it right now because it's, it's direct, right? It's a direct thing that's gonna have an impact right now on the goal that I have. If I'm seeing, I'm really holding out for a hopeful long-term win. If there's a strategic long-term win, then I can wait. So I'll give an example. I had an opportunity, the first time I got an offer for a book deal was after my first viral video. So I had a video that went viral. We did about, I think it was, I think it was 1 million views in a day and 24 million views in a week or something like that. And the next day I got a call from a publisher. They wanted to meet me. We went out to lunch and they said, Jay, you need to write a book. Now I was like, okay, like, you know, and, 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 and it's funny cause I had the, this same title in my mind, but I didn't really know what would fully go into it. And I was like, I think I need to like build a following and build a community and understand my community and think about it. like, there was just so much going on. It was the first time a video had ever gone viral. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to wait because I think I'm going to have a better opportunity to do this. And the question is the better opportunity is not, am I going to have a better tr- opportunity from the external am I going to be better for the opportunity? And that's how I come back to it. It's like, can I be better for this opportunity that I'm getting? If I can be better, then I'll wait. If I can't be better, I better take this right now because I'm not going to get it again. And so for me, that's how I go about it, is am I going to be in a better position to do more justice to this opportunity that I'm receiving? Or am I in my best position to do justice to this opportunity right now? So uh, I'll give an example of, um, I was asked recently to, be in a fun trailer for the bad boys movie and it was it came as a call from sony pictures and they were like we'd love for you to do this trailer and we want you to play a life coach and we want you to give a couples therapy coaching session to will smith and martin lawrence i was like you know i'm like i'm like that is so cool like yeah, i grew up as amazing. a huge fan i can't wait it's great. i'm like geeking out on the phone and i was just like you know i can either be like oh no i've you know, there's probably going to be a better opportunity than this, or I'm going to take this right now. And so I said yes to the opportunity. I went to acting class for four days in a row just to do this trailer because I wanted to be prepared. And for me, it was like that was the best time to take that opportunity. So there's all, you're always going to. There's always an opportunity for there to be a better opportunity. Always, you can never, you can never, you can never mathematically calculate the odds of that. It's always going to be there. But ask yourself, am I get, Is this opportunity matching my current skill set? If it is, take it. If you know that your skill set's going to grow and you're going to grow and you can attract a better opportunity, invest in your skill set, not in hope. And I think that's what we do. We hope that there'll be a better opportunity rather than saying, I'm going to upskill so much better that the opportunity is going to be better.
1: And that's the end of part one of my interview with Jay Shetty. We'll be back next week with part two. where We'll be talking more about how to think like a monk and how you can actually put some of these things into practice. In the meantime, check out Jay's book, Think Like a Monk, and find him on Instagram at Jay Shetty. And by the way, he and I will be doing an Instagram Live, so look at his Instagram and mine, Patrick J. McGinnis, to see when that's gonna happen. I'll see you there, hopefully, and if not, we'll see you next week on the pod. And now it's time for the foam moment of the show, and today I just wanna catch up a bit since it's been a minute since we last spoke. And like many of you, I spent quarantine in one place. For me, that was New York City in my apartment, and I gotta tell you, it started to feel claustrophobic. I think I was losing my mind, and if you follow me on Instagram, you could tell that slowly, slowly uh, things were falling apart. And at some point, I realized that I just needed a change of scenery. You think about Jay Shetty becoming a monk at 22. I was afraid to move apartments, and I realized that if I moved apartments, I should make some changes and embrace some new things in my life. So I moved to a new apartment and a new neighborhood, Tribeca, and I have to tell you, the change has done me good. I'm feeling great. And one of the things that I think we can all learn right now is if you're going to make some changes in your life, This is a great time to try something new and let go of the old, whether that means moving, starting a new project, or simply mixing up things and trying to live a healthier, better life. Now, as part of the big move, I do have a few new toys that I'm enjoying, you know, not spending money on anything anymore because I don't go anywhere, so I decided to invest a little bit more in home, and here's what I got for you. First, I built a podcast studio right in the apartment because, let's face it, I have no idea when I'll next have a chance to record in an actual studio. So, better to just do it at home. You can actually find some pictures of the new studio on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis or at FOMO Sapiens. Next, I got a Peloton, which I am relying on to keep me healthy and sane as we get into the winter months. Now, many of you uh, have Pelotons at home, I imagine. So, if you've got one, let's ride together. You can find me. Uh, my name is FOMO Sapiens, or you can look up the hashtag FOMO Sapiens. Now that I've all set up at home, in this apartment with this studio, I'm gonna be recording a lot of great new episodes. So please, if you have ideas for guests or suggestions about what you'd like to hear on the show, drop me a line at let's connect at or find me on Twitter or Instagram. Twitter is at PJ Instagram is at Patrick J. McGuinness. I love hearing from Fomo sapiens. Lots of you reach out with great ideas. So if you got an idea, send it to me. And for those of you who reached out in the past, keep them coming. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGuinness, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.